Church, if you have your Bibles this morning, would you open up to Luke chapter 23? Luke chapter 23. We are almost to the end of the Gospel of Luke. Just one more week. We'll share together next week about the resurrection. But we come to this chapter today that is in many ways the very culmination of all that we've been looking at since Christmas time. Since we began back in December looking at the birth of Jesus and we've walked through the ministry of Jesus and we saw in Luke chapter 9 how Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. He was following the Father's will perfectly in going to Jerusalem knowing exactly what would happen to him there. Multiple times in this gospel we, we have seen Jesus proclaiming that he was going to be handed over to the authorities and that he would unjustly be killed and we come today to the culmination of these things in the cross of our Lord Luke chapter 23 we're going to begin there in verse 32 this morning if you're able to stand in honor of God's word I'd like us to do that as we share these scriptures this morning Luke records the crucifixion account in this way beginning in verse 32 he says Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him, that is, with Jesus. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. There was also an inscription over him that said, This is the king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And then Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. You can be seated, church. Father, I pray as we look to the cross today that we would be reminded of the cost of our redemption. That a high price was paid that we might be forgiven and welcomed into your kingdom as your sons, as your daughters, as followers of Christ and citizens under your kingship. 
Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your word would say to us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So church, as we come to the cross today, we want to be reminded of what the scriptures say about the cross. I I remember uh, growing up and and hearing many times uh, the cross being preached from the pulpit of my home church. And and, and oftentimes uh, there was great mention of uh, the way in which crucifixion was done. It was one, it is probably the most wicked form of torture and death that's ever been devised by mankind. And, and, And we could talk in depth about that today, except for the fact that as you look at the accounts of these four gospels that we've been given, these four eyewitnesses that we, that we have to the life and ministry of Jesus, that as you look at these, what you notice about each of them is this. They really don't focus much on the suffering of the cross. Their greater purpose and focus is on the significance of the cross. And that's what I want us to see this morning, that yes, he suffered in our place, but his suffering was laden with divine significance. The cross is the most purposeful action that has ever been accomplished in this world. And the purpose was that God might reveal his great love to us. Romans 5.8, the Apostle Paul wrote, But God shows or demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Church, we come together this morning rejoicing that God did not wait for us to clean ourselves up in order for us to be saved, or otherwise none of us would be. God did not wait for us to accomplish something that would be worthy of this great salvation. Otherwise, none of us would be saved. But God did for us what we could never have done for ourselves. It was all of grace. And it was all a demonstration of His love for us. Pastor Kent Hughes writes, The cross reveals the love of God as nothing else in the universe could The cross reveals both excruciating pain and excruciating love. I I love that word excruciating because it literally means out of the cross. It's a word that means out of the cross. And so I've entitled today's message excruciating love. I want to look this morning at three statements that Luke gives us that Jesus made from the cross. Now, if we look at the four Gospels together, we find seven seven different statements that Jesus made from the cross. Luke gives us three of them, the first two and the last of them. And I want to look at these three statements of Jesus, but I also want you to see the response. Luke focuses on the response of those who were there that day, those who were there at the foot of the cross. Those who were hanging there with Jesus on crosses to his right and to his left. And I want you to see this morning both the words of Christ and the response of the people there. Because I want you to understand this morning that you will find your own response to the cross here in this text this morning. The first statement of Jesus from the cross. Shortly after they had driven nails into his wrists and into his feet is he makes in those moments a promise of pardon. 
Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Just moments after they had crucified him, he begins to pray. And I believe much of what Jesus did during those six hours on the cross was to pray. And in fact, as we'll see before we end this morning, he prayed the Psalms. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He drew that from Psalm 22, verse 1, a psalm that was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by King David himself and during one of his uh, trials and miseries of his life. And Jesus took those words as he hung there on the cross to cry out to his God. promise of pardon we see here and I want you just to consider this this morning I want you to consider the gravity uh, not of a man who looking back on his torture and punishment is praying for the forgiveness of his captors but in the midst of his torture and punishment he is praying for them just moments after they have crucified him he is praying for their pardon And, and you notice he says father forgive them for they know not what they do This reminds us that there are two types of sins that the Bible speaks about. That there are sins that we commit on purpose and there are sins that we commit in ignorance. Now the Bible is very, very clear that both of these types of sins are deserving of the wrath and punishment of Almighty God. We we deserve hell both because of our sins committed in ignorance and because of our sins committed on purpose. Whether we know what we're doing or we don't know, we are still still able to be punished. You you think about laws in our own land. I can remember years ago driving with my then fiancé through. We had gotten lost coming back from my grandmother's house and ended up in Tennessee. When you go into the wrong state, you probably ought to turn around. But we didn't, and we kept driving, and it's a miracle that she's still with me today because of that incident. But we were driving along, and I missed at some point a speed limit sign and got pulled over in some no-name town down in the northern part of Tennessee. And let me just tell you this morning, my ignorance of that speed limit sign did not keep me from having to pay the hefty fine that went with being captured by the police officer in that moment. Now, he could have shown me mercy. He chose not to, probably when he saw my Kentucky plates. But the point is this, whether sins are committed in ignorance or on purpose, the punishment is still there. Now there there is a greater punishment, I believe, the Bible indicates for those who sin willfully, who know what they're doing and choose to rebel against God anyway, who choose to break God's law knowing exactly what they're doing. But here as Jesus looks down upon these Roman soldiers who had just driven nails into his wrists and into his feet, he prays for their forgiveness because they truly did not understand the gravity of what they had just done. These men had most likely crucified a number of people over the years. These were professionals in uh, this art of crucifixion. And yet on that day, they crucified their own creator. On that day, they drove nails into the very hands that had molded this world. They drove nails into the feet of the one who had walked on water. And in that moment, what we need to understand and what Luke points out so powerfully 
is that the righteous one was reckoned with the rebels. He was counted with the criminals. You go back to Isaiah 53, which talks about the suffering servant, a a messianic prophecy of what Jesus was going to do for us. And in Isaiah 53, 12, it says, He was counted with or numbered with the transgressors. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 reminds us that though He had no sin of His own, He became sin for us. All the gravity of our sin and all the guilt of our sin and all the punishment that was due our sin was heaped upon Him so that we could enjoy the righteousness of God. The greatest exchange that has ever been known happened there at the cross. And again, this passage is just laden with purpose. Nothing happened by accident. It was all according to the will of God. And time and time again, you can look back to the Old Testament and you can see prophecies that point forward to the very things that were happening as Jesus hung there on the cross. You see, even His garments fulfilled God's Word on that day when it says they cast lots for His clothing. They, they gambled for His clothing. We go back to Psalm 22, some of which we read earlier. And, and in Psalm 22, verse 18, that's exactly what it says they would do. They, they cast lots for His clothing. It was a fulfillment of messianic prophecy there in the Old Testament. God was pointing the Old Testament people forward and He's pointing us back and reminding us this was all according to His plan. No one took Jesus' life from Him on that day. The Romans thought they did. The religious leaders thought they had. But Jesus had already said, no one takes my life from me. I will lay it down of my own accord. And by the way, I'll take it up again. We'll talk about that next week. I want you to consider the scene. As the creator of all the world, the holy and righteous one who had no sin of his own, hung there in the place of criminals, our substitute, hanging where we should have hung, dying as we should have died. Notice the first response is that of the rulers. And what were they doing? But taunting the suffering servant. Taunting him, mocking him. And you notice their their mockery, the words they use, lead us all the way back to Luke chapter 2 and the proclamation of his birth. Remember the angels came out of heaven and made a birth proclamation to the shepherds. And what did they say? Unto you this day in the city of David is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. And that is exactly, that is exactly what we see them taunting Jesus with. Are you not the Christ? Are you, are you not a Savior? Save yourself. Are you not a King? Are you not Lord over us? As they're mocking Him, their mockery was speaking the truth of the Gospel. It was prophesied in Psalm 22. In Psalm 22, David wrote these words, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? If you are really the Son of God, come down off that cross. The criminal on one side saying, hey, and save us too while you're at it. Let him rescue him for he delights in him. All of this according to the plan and purpose of God. The second words of Jesus from the cross as recorded by Luke involve a promise of paradise. A promise of pardon purchased for us at the cross and now a promise of paradise. 
It's a reminder that not only are we forgiven by God for what Je- by what Jesus did at the cross, but we are welcomed into His kingdom. And this thief is a reminder to us that it's all of grace. Consider this thief as one is mocking Christ, one is looking to Him by faith and trusting Him to do what this man can. He could do nothing about his condition. What could he do there on the cross? There were, there were no works he could perform. There was, there was no, no way for him to, to memorize Scripture or read the Word. There was no way for him to get baptized. There was no church attendance for him to accomplish. There, was none, there were no works that this man could do. His only hope was faith in the one who was crucified right next to him. And by the way, church, that is our only hope as well. The thief on the cross urges us not to put our faith in our own works. There is nothing that we can do to earn this great salvation. It was purchased for us fully and freely by Jesus Christ. So when he said it is finished, he meant it. It was all completed. The full will of the Father for our salvation was purchased for us there completely by him. This thief also reminds us that the righteous one will receive some of the rebels. This is good news, church. Because we are just like that criminal who asked Jesus for mercy. Just the mercy of remembrance, and yet Jesus went farther, didn't he? Oh no, man, today you're going to be with me in my kingdom. Because saving faith was there. A turning from sin and a trusting in Christ was there. But you need to understand this morning, don't mistake the picture here. Luke is not sharing with us about uh, the repentance and faith of this criminal to give us the wrong idea. You see, this is not about a good criminal. This is about a great Christ. It's about a great Christ who saves us by His grace and for His glory. It's about a great Christ who does everything necessary for our salvation. It's about a great Christ who calls us to look to Him and live. And these two criminals set before us a choice. Will we be those who engage in mockery of Him, scoffing at Him, or will we look to Him for salvation? You will be one of those two. And ultimately, understand, if you reject Him in mockery and scoffing, you will face the due penalty for your sin. But the repentant response is seen in this criminal as he turns away from his sin. Look at his words. These were words of deep repentance. As he rebukes the one who is scoffing and mocking Jesus, he says to him, We are deserving of these things. Look at verse 40. Do you not fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation. We're all here in the same spot. And we indeed justly, we deserve this, he's saying. We deserve this for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. You see, repentance requires this recognizing that the, the due penalty for your sin, the gravity of your sin, means you are deserving of death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. 
We remind ourselves of these things, and not just one time, but we run again and again to the cross to be reminded that our works will not merit us anything before this holy God. In truth, it's our works that have condemned us. It's only His work that can redeem. 1 John 1, 9, a picture of what happened that day with the criminal there on the cross. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we will agree with God that our, uh, that our sin is worthy of the death penalty, and yet we look to Christ and trust Him to rescue us, then we will be saved. And there's a third promise I want you to see this morning. We see the promise of pardon, the promise of paradise. And finally, Jesus' last words on the cross, Luke records them here for us, include a promise of participation with Him. You see, church, this is the beauty of the cross. That He has invited us as the substitute for our sin. He has now invited us to dwell where he dwells. And so Paul helps us to understand, the Apostle Paul helps us to understand this reality that when Christ died at the cross, there is a great truth that those who put their faith in him, we died with him. And, and so Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is a participation with Jesus in his cross. And if you will not participate with Jesus in the cross, then you cannot participate with Jesus in the resurrection life that he also bought for us. This promise of participation reminds us that the righteous one will reshape some of the rebels. Look at that soldier, that centurion. A man of great authority. He was given authority over a hundred other men. In this case, there would have been four others there at the cross overseeing the crucifixions that day. And notice that the, at the beginning of the crucifixion, they're joining in the mockery and the scoffing. They're having fun at Jesus' expense as well. They're echoing the same things as the religious leaders, the same things as the criminal there on one side. You see, this man was changed. As he watched the way Jesus died. Verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour. That is about noon, and right in the middle of the day. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. Three hours of darkness. And while the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. I wish we had time to just dwell there for a moment. And be reminded that the tearing of the temple curtain, that this curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the, of the temple, this, this, temp, this curtain that reminded that there was a separation between God and man because of our sin, that that, to, that curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. It was, as, it was as if God took that curtain and he just ripped it from top to bottom and said, now you are welcome to come in and to dwell with me. And now no longer will the presence of God be, combined, be confined to this temple. Now the presence of God will be with man, man. He will dwell among us. He will live within us. And all that, with the tearing of that curtain, then notice the response. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice his final words from the cross, Father, into your hands I commit 
my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. By the way, there at the end of verse 46, when it says he breathed his last, that's not the normal way that death is spoken of in the scriptures. I know we kind of use those kind of terminologies, but normally when somebody dies in the Bible, they don't use that kind of language. Luke is trying to show us a little hint here. Something strange is happening with Jesus' death. It's not going to last long. Verse 47, Now when the centurion, a man who just hours earlier had been joining in the mockery and the scoffing, when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God. Think about the gravity of that for a moment, folks. A man who just hours earlier had been joining in the mockery is now lifting up praises to a God he had not likely known before this day. He praised God and he said, certainly this man was innocent. That word innocent could also be translated righteous. Certainly this was a righteous man. He did not deserve these things. But he bore our sin on the cross. He made intercession for transgressors like us. The cross is a reminder to his church that there will be two main responses to the cross in the end. Some will leave and grieve and others will look and live. It's right here in the text. Look at the response of these two groups. Verse 48. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, it was, it was normal entertainment in those days to go and watch crucifixions. I know that sounds horrible, but we entertain ourselves with equally horrible things, don't we? All the crowds that assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home beating their breasts. It's a sign of intense sorrow, intense grief. That's what the picture here is. They went away sad, much like the rich young ruler that we looked at earlier in the book of Luke, much like that rich young ruler who, who came to Jesus and went away sad because he loved his wealth more than he loved anything else, more than he would love Christ. They went away sad. And I want you to understand this morning, if you look to the cross and the only thing that you come away with is grief, you've missed it. If you come to the cross and you hear of the one who died in your place and the only thing that you walk away with is grief, sorrow, and sadness, I want you to understand this morning there's more. There's so much more. And perhaps some of these 40 days from then, and on the day of Pentecost when Peter went out and proclaimed the gospel for the first time, there was 3,000 that came to saving faith in Jesus on the day. And perhaps some of those 3,000 were those who on the day of his crucifixion just went away sad, just went away grieved, just went away sorrowful. I want you to understand the cross calls us to more than that. cross calls us to look and live look at verse 49 and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things looking on intently we don't know what was going on inside their minds and hearts I'm sure there was great sorrow there as well but they could not take their eyes off the cross they stand as a reminder of those Old Testament days one particular time in which 
God's people rebelled against him during those 40 years in the wilderness. They had rebelled so many times. And on this particular occasion, God sent poisonous snakes in among them that would bite them. And, and many of them were sick and dying because of these snake bites. But God, in his mercy, said to Moses, Hey, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fashion a snake out of bronze, and I want you to put it up on a pole, and I want you to raise it high, and I want you to tell the people, Anyone who looks to this bronze serpent will be healed, will live. That's exactly what was happening when Jesus was crucified. He was raised up that we might find life in him. You see, the redeemed response is this. It's simply trusting in the Savior. It's looking to him, the author and the perfecter of our faith, here with the joys that before him endured the cross and scorned its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us, praying for us, that we would not simply come away from the cross with a word of grief, with a feeling of sorrow, but that we would see beyond the sorrow, beyond the suffering, beyond the price that was paid, that we would see He did all this for the joy set before Him. And ultimately, when we look to the cross, it ought to cause within us a great response of joy. Joy toward the one who said, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Just like that bronze serpent in the wilderness was lifted high, so the perfect Son of God was lifted high on the cross. And all who look to him by faith shall live. The righteous shall live by faith. Not faith in faith, but faith in the Son of God who took the cross for us, that we might have life in him. Are you looking to Jesus today? Would you just be reminded of these responses that we have seen? Some will look to the cross in mockery and scoffing. Some will look to the cross and simply come away grieved. But some will look and find life eternal. I pray that you'll be among that number this morning.